Hi, this is Corey Black, the host of Bruise and Tunes, and what you're about to listen to is incredibly important. Uh, I just wanted to take a second and let you know that in this episode there is adult language, um, which is well warranted for the t- discussion that we're having. So, please enjoy. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to, believe it or not, season one finale of Brews and Tunes with, uh, this is our 11th episode. This is called Real Talk, uh, musicians talking about uh, systemic racism and music. Uh, and it's going to be a really, really good episode. I'm really excited to have our two awesome guests and friends of mine on the show today. So uh, let's go over first to Jocelyn Smallwood, Miss Jocelyn Smallwood. How's it going, Jocelyn? It's going, man. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jocelyn, you and I first met each other when I was uh, in fourth grade, fifth grade. I think that's like that. right. Yeah, <laughs> when we were little. It's, it's crazy. You were playing basketball, and I was pretending to be a ball boy. It was great. It, yeah, <laughs> it was very talented. Yeah, uh, very I don't know fun. if I was that great. Uh, but Jocelyn, so you are now at OSU, entering your junior senior year, senior year of music ed. Senior year, yes, woo, yes sir. Student Woo-hoo. teaching on the horizon. That's exciting. I indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jocelyn's yeah. a great tuba player and currently Sussman player of Largemouth Brass Band. Woot woot, shout out to Largemouth. Woot woot, that's right. <laughs> and we are so happy to have her with us. And our other guest tonight is Fahim Najib. Fahim, you are outstanding. How's it going, my friend? Uh, you flatter me. <laughs> Fahim, I love it because when we when we first played together, um, I think it was back in the fall, you did a great uh, interview on one of my sub-podcasts uh, okay. talking, about, <laughs> talking about all sorts of things, but... Um, mainly like Cannonball Adderley and your love for Cannonball. And I, I, we were talking before the show started. I am in amazement with the way that you do the phrasing and articulation. It's awesome, man. Oh man. I'm just trying to delve in deeper into uh, Cannonball. He's, that's why I call it the source, man. He just, he just a band director that just realized that like, Oh shoot, I'm sweet. So let me just play with Miles. <laughs> it's true. Now he did steal from his brother all the time on and playing his music, but we'll we won't talk about that. It's oh, not important. Don't sleep on that. Cassie <laughs> <laughs> sleeping on that. He's he's a man. Well, Fahim, you uh have been a band director for the past few years at uh Mifflin uh middle school, correct? Yeah, just finished up my fifth year now at uh, Columbus City Schools, uh teaching band strings, and then I did uh private lessons throughout uh Columbus at GG Music, Music and Arts, and then helping out with like um Jazz All Stars and I'm just saying I'm busy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you are a very, very busy person. Like and and you uh, are a co founder of Kinfolk, right? The uh, the band you were in? It's mostly Josh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you took credit in in the last interview. You took credit with the naming of it, so I was going to give you. Oh yeah, that was me, man. <laughs> I'm coming after you. Take that credit. <laughs> Take that credit. I, I came up with that name like I did like 2017, but <laughs> credit goes first, to it. He was first to market, so that's what really counts. <laughs> well, I love it. Well, uh, folks, we are here again at Brews and Tunes. Like I said, this is episode 11, and again, Brews and Tunes means that we got to talk about brews. So. We are sponsored in here in this space to talk today uh, by Zaftig Brewing Company in Worthington, which is the home of where we have our jam sessions on Thursdays. Hopefully they will return. We'll talk more about that at the very end of the show. Uh, And Zaftig has so much for you to check out. 
Check out Zaftig Brewing Company in Worthington as Worthington's only craft brewery. They focus on full-bodied beers. And by full-bodied, we mean like percent levels up in the 10s, 11, 12, and their old rugger, which is close to 20%. Still counts as beer. (laughs) They have tons of great, light, refreshing beers, like the one I'm going to be drinking tonight, which I'm excited to talk about. They have Hazy Miss Daisy and Juicy Lucy, which are their flagship. And tonight, I'll talk about a special one. They also have heavier ales like the Wee Heavy Scottish Ale and Bambalam Breakfast Stout. If you haven't been to Zaftig Brewing Company, you got to make a trip a sap tonight, friends. I'm excited. I'm drinking a super juicy Lucy. And all right, so I've only done this like 17 times. Let's see if I can get it just perfect. Ready? Here we go. Yeah, there it is. Oh, that was good. That was good. That's all right. Well, immediately, I'll tell you what, I have not actually had this beer yet. This is my this is my initial first reaction right here. And immediately when I open it, I can smell the orange from it. It's got like orange burst in it. And it's it's, it's incredible. Okay, so here we go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where it's at. I could drink this literally all day on a summer. Probably wouldn't be good. That's how it works. Uh, all right. Uh, Fahim, you drinking anything with us tonight? Man, just some pure H2O. We love uh, that. Out of my solid Nalgene cup. <laughs> Thank you for helping me transport a good 32 ounces. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nalgene. Made in the U.S. of A. All Man, right. mm-hmm. I got to get, get more on that water stuff that y'all talk <laughs> about. Everybody's oh, talking about it every episode. I got to get on this water. What about you, Jocelyn? You drink anything tonight? Uh, I'm also drinking a lot of water. Got to stay hydrated. Man. All um, right. And this, I'm... this big water bottle I got. <laughs> <laughs> one time at a band camp um but hey, i am, that's, I am those are so many having, stories one time yeah, at a band camp all of us here one time at a band time. camp i needed a bigger water bottle so i bought one um and that's what i'm drinking out of i am having a a land grant pool party though oh. I, I enjoy a nice land grant pool party all right so. real quick land is, grant ray rays that i would be there once a week eat some ray rays ribs and land grant i just can't Oh, I went okay. Everybody, if you're listening, wear a mask, please. Just wear please. a mask so we can all go back to Ray Race and Land Grant Agreed. and people can live. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> there's no good way to segue from that, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's um, good. Uh, so, as the show is sponsored by Zaftig, we are also sponsored by Anchor Podcasting. This is something new that I learned. Anchor Podcasting is a brand new service. You can actually put your entire podcast on just through the browser. So you can record, you can edit, you can mix, you can get your own sponsorships, which will pay for your actual show through Anchor Podcasting. Make sure you check out anchor.fm today. All right, friends. Um, So today, as I was kind of coming up with the show, it was hard for me to kind of come up with an outline because this topic of, you know, racism and systemic racism is something that's very real and very deep and it means so much to so many people. And so first, before we even get into it, I want to thank both of you for, for being willing to be here and, and talk tonight. I think a lot of people uh, who listen to the show may not understand the extent of everything. Um, and I'm, I'm really uh, excited to have you kind of help us uh, learn along the way. Um, so Jocelyn, you and I, I, we started talking a little bit how we both kind of knew each other from an early age. Uh, and you and I grew up in what a lot of people like to call a bubble, <laughs> In a place uh, that a lot a of our, our listeners might know uh, of Upper Arlington, Ohio, um, and it it's an interesting place for a lot of reasons. But Jocelyn, what was it kind of like growing up in that that program at Upper Arlington? 
Um, it is a bubble. I think that's a very good way to to put it. You know, both in both in good and bad. I always tell people, um, thinking back, I don't I don't think I would change uh, where I grew up. I mean, it, it's a big part of who I am now. Um, I met a lot of really great people and I met a lot of really great teachers and obviously a huge part of the reason I'm doing what I am now is because of the the band program there. Um, but it is also not a particularly diverse place with respect to a lot of things. I mean, if you're talking about, uh, socioeconomic status or, or religion or ethnicity or any number of those things, um, but race especially. And so, it was always super, super clear um, that, you know, you are one of a couple people who look the way you do. And so I think uh, I have a little brother. He's not little anymore. He's taller than I am and he's, he's working <laughs> and doing all that stuff. But uh, he and I both growing up, I think, you know, always left the house knowing, hey, you don't look like everyone else here. Um, and whether it was just sort of walking around and noticing that or, or by things that were a little more explicit um, being done or said, it was always very, very, very clear that there was sort of this wall between you and everybody else. Um, and, and there were a lot of times where I felt a part of the community and, and I had a lot of great friends and stuff, but there was always sort of that, that divider between um, us and everyone else, just because you do sort of, you look around and it's like, are, just us, just me. All right, cool. There's, there's no other black people here. Um, so it was, you know, unique in that respect, I think. Um, but like I said, I don't, I don't think I would change it. Uh, but it, it, it did provide a lot of chances for learning. Um, and and so sometimes learning stuff that you don't really want to learn, but it's just it's the way it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And I can speak, Jocelyn, I, when I first met you in a leadership role, you were a leadership, you were in leadership in marching band. Uh, and marching band in itself was kind of a special place to me because it felt like everybody belonged and that was really cool. Um, but for me, you were such an awesome leader of people um, oh, thanks, that I, I think, and I think we'll maybe get into this a little bit in the show, but I think that band is a special place where we can fight racism and we and we can provide support for each other. Um, and so I'm just thankful for, for who you were uh, because to be honest with you, part of you being the leader that you were inspired me to continue working at leadership and then eventually become a band teacher as well. So I, I want to thank you from a personal note for doing what you do. Uh, I, yeah, that little hurt. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. And Fahim, I want to go to you. Um, we were talking about, you know, kind of growing up and I remember you told me back in the fall, kind of where you grew up, you grew up in Cleveland, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Cleveland, Ohio, uh, near downtown, the East side. It was, it was also, it was always interesting. It's always good. Like I grew up with them with my uh, grandmother, mom, dad. Uh, I had like a huge support system for my family, so I was definitely blessed in that regard. But uh, Cleveland is is a bit different because it's not a bubble. It's like it's pretty huge. Yeah. Pretty di super diverse. Uh, a lot of different people from all walks of life uh, really reside in that city. So I was like really cool and really blessed to have a lot of different perspectives going into college and things like that. So like I grew up on uh, the east side of Cleveland really with my uh, grandma because my mom and dad were working. So after school, we would go to East Cleveland and that's rough or the rough. You think Cleveland's rough, check out East Cleveland. Like that, it gets very little support like uh, economically and like socially really. Yeah. And then I went to the school at uh, Cleveland School of the Arts which is a like six to 12, like performing arts school. 
So uh, they kind of had us on the track of like college pretty early. So my major was instrumental music. So I was a band major. And then they had vocal majors, dance, creative writing, um, graphic design, visual art. Um, I might be missing something else, but yeah. yeah I think it's, that it's been it's so, different. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. So like I would equate it to kind of like Fort Hayes, uh, yeah in Columbus here, but Cleveland School of Arts, man, it was really cool because we had like a culture already established mm. that we were like, our, our school was like 97, 98% African-American. Um, so we were just like, yeah, we're, we're in this together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I went there from 2004 and I graduated in 2010 or 2000, yeah, 2010. <laughs> All those years are, are flying by. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. And your um, anniversary coming up. That's crazy. Fim, <laughs> talk to me a little bit about what music meant to you from an early age uh, and, and kind of what it, it did it give you a sense of belonging? Mm. Okay. That's <laughs> heavy. That's heavy. Let me think about this. <laughs> by the yeah. way, audience, that wasn't in the outline. I'm just throwing this at him. So it wasn't very clear. <laughs> oh, no, you can. <laughs> I'm prepared for any question. Just give me a second to reflect. <laughs> but yeah, music meant a lot pretty much throughout my whole life. Like my grandmother, she was uh, an organist and a pianist in the church. So we would hear her practice uh, like after school or like over weekends, things like that. Now music would fill up the house. And like my mom was definitely into like R&B and uh, gospel. So she would listen to anywhere from like Whitney Houston, and uh Yolanda Adams things like that my dad was really into uh like funk and jazz like Weather Report and uh Coltrane and I really distinctly remember this in my like development of musicianship really it was the summer going into ninth grade uh year where I had I just uh started the program called Jazz with this uh I'm sorry somewhere with with a jazz masters at uh, Cuyahoga Community College Shout out to Tri-C and Cleveland. That's awesome. Oh, man, those are great institutions. They need your support. So if you're looking for some place to shovel some money in Cleveland, that's, those are the places. Back to my story. So <laughs> uh, like that summer going into ninth grade, uh, I picked just like some random albums and CDs to get into. Because I was like, what's this jazz thing about? Like I, I played saxophone since fourth grade, but I didn't really understand or know what I was really getting into. So I just had some reference recordings that made a huge impact on my development, my life and career. So first was like Count Basie, Gold mm -hmm. Collection. Mm -hmm. uh, it had every all the hits from like Two Franks to One O'Clock Jump, mm -hmm. Lee Block Blues. The history <laughs> of swing right there. It's right the there, that's, all, that's all you need, but there's more. And I had <laughs> uh, Miles Davis, uh, Milestones, and we talk about Cannonball, like Cannonball was giving Coltrane run for his money in that in that record. Uh, and the combination between him, Rick Garland, uh, Paul Chambers, and Miles and all them. Ooh that was an album. Uh, I agree. Yeah, and I had uh, Sonny Rollins, saxophone mm. colossus. My aunt, she gave that to me for for my birthday because she said, like, yeah, you play saxophone. He's a sax he is a saxophone player on the cover. She didn't realize oh, awesome. like it was like one of the best <laughs> albums in recorded history. Right. 
that St. Thomas recording on that album is Sweet. the coolest. His solos. Anyways, we can go on and on about that. <laughs> it's like it got to the point in that that and uh, a Love Supreme, uh, mm. John Coltrane. So I had those records in my rotation. I listened to those things like nonstop for like basically the whole summer. Yeah, it got to, it got to a point where I was able to like sing and internalize like the drum solos going back and forth between Sonny Rollins and Max mm. Roach. Man. Or I would like get goosebumps every time I would hear uh. that uh part two. Uh. Yeah, we talk we talk about how <laughs> how music heals and washes away some of this pain. Yo, uh. like every time I put on a Love Supreme, I I either like yeah have everything else quiet, zone in, like that's a spiritual place for me spiritual thing for me because anytime i'm going through something i put on love supreme and it makes it just a bit better yeah shout out shout out thanks fahim shout out to uh episode 10 if you haven't listened folks uh a love supreme with dr michael cox real real good stuff but fahim i'm glad you brought that one up because uh you know and something we're going to address later on in the show all of those albums and artists are predominantly black musicians mm-hmm. and are, are speaking to everybody, right? It's not like they have this lens of only talking to one type of person. Yeah. They're speaking to everybody. Um, and I think a lot of those albums that you mentioned are the basis for what later on drove into our modern pop world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but Jocelyn, talk to me a little bit about music and for you, what, what, did it do to you? Did you, from an early age, were like, yes, absolutely music? Or was it something that kind of came to you later on? Um, I think the sort of the interest in, in that really intense, like, sort of, I was going to say almost spiritual, but I think legitimately like spiritual connection um, that Fahim talked about a little bit. I think looking back, I feel like that was there super early. Um, I, I didn't decide I was going to do music as a career until a couple years ago. Um, I like did that thing where I, I thought I was going to go work in an office and, um, you know, do, do what everybody else thought I should be doing. Uh, and I met a lot of great people, but the whole time was kind of like, no, I, I really just want to go play and teach music. And so, you know, that realization happened a little later, but I think even as a little kid, like I knew that music did something to me that, uh, other things did not. Um, I know as a kid, I had this cassette tape because I'm I'm old, so cassette tapes were. <laughs> You're not old. It's old, older. Um, <laughs> I you know I had a cassette tape that had like a, I think it was a recording of the 1812 overture on it, and I used to plug in my headphones and just like replay the finale to 1812 oh. over and over and over again, and I would like get to the end, rewind it, put it on on play, and I'd almost fall asleep. And then I get to the end and I'd be like, no, 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 I need to hear it one more time. Um, and so it's sort of the combination of that type of stuff. And then just like a, a weird potpourri of musical influences. Um, neither of my parents are, are musicians, but they, my dad especially, just loves music. Um, shout out to him. He just started taking drum lessons. He just retired. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> it is, I've cried multiple times, like talking to people about it. It's the best thing in the whole world to like see, see people you love start to experience music. Um, so and like so I think right there. it's amazing. <laughs> and I, I think I have, you know, I think I got some of that from, from him. Um, 
we would be in the car and we listen. He really likes uh, like classic rock stuff, tons of Motown, um, some classical thrown in, some just pop, rap, R&B, all this stuff. Um, and he took me to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Um, yep. Wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful city. When I was a kid, and I can distinctly remember walking into some some exhibit and hearing the very first notes of I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. Mm. And there's just that slide down the piano into the first part of it. And I, I like, it's like my ears turned on or something for the first <laughs> time. It was unbelievable. And I was like, what? was that and so again cassette tape uh he bought me the cassette tape of like the jackson five greatest hits it's like the cover with like blue and pink and yellow and whatever on it um and i i listened to that thing until it it broke i think on my little cassette player so um you were just as far as being affected good yeah i don't think i think you knew me when i was a kid i was not cool at all um i was a big nerd but you know people like that grow up to be good people i think so uh it's great but yeah, I think I think from a really early age, it was just I knew that music did something for me that I that I couldn't find elsewhere. Um, and, you know, I it's it's a, a little bit of an addiction, I think, for those of us who are musicians and who know what it feels like to to listen to music and to make it with other people. And, you know, it's something that you sort of just keep chasing um, because you know how great it is. And so I'm I'm fortunate that as a kid, I had enough experiences to sort of say, "Ooh, this is this is fun this is good. This is fulfilling. Um, and it took me a little longer to get, to get to the, the path I'm on now, but you know, it, uh, I think from an early age, I, I was sort of pointed in that direction regardless. Well, I know that I can speak for everybody when I talk about both of you, how excited I am a for Jocelyn, you want to become a music teacher. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. And I hope so, man. (laughs) Hey, speaking of which you ever need a student teaching uh, partner, uh, I'll put a bid in right now. uh, Come hang out with me. Give me a job. (laughs) And then then Fahim, man, to be, to decide that you want to go and pursue jazz the way that you are going to Michigan state. I think that is ridiculously awesome, man. I'm so happy to see you to pursue that. I mean, I think, I think that's going to be so cool. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, it is it is but you're gonna be able to do it man you know what you're doing this is great <laughs> before we uh dive any deeper um into the night's uh, topic i want to i want to say this um you know i want to state and recognize that you know obviously i've benefited from this idea of white privilege throughout my entire life uh from the moment i was born to where i am today um and because of that you know i'm incredibly excited to hear from both you, Fahim, and you, Jocelyn, tonight, kind of talking about your perspectives and uh, things that I may not have witnessed um, and that I may now just be waking up to, uh, like a lot of other Americans and people in the world. Um, so, Fahim, it, I'm curious, man, would you mind kind of speaking to maybe your first experience dealing with someone, you know, discriminating you against you or, or racism? Okay. Um... It's different now, uh, well, speaking, because I was born in, like, the early 90s. So by then, so by then, like, systematic racism or racism, racism in general has been either, like, masked or uh, moved over and shifted so covertly that either you're not, either if you don't pay attention, you're like, oh, that, that was messed up. Or you may not, you may not, you may not get it or you may miss it. So one of my first instances of that, probably just walking into 
just a store trying to get something that like one would be a paying customer and then uh people assume the worst and uh just get followed or they just side eye looks things like that it's definitely not like i didn't i wasn't like attacked or ran down the street things like that but it's some things that kind of got to me and make you feel less than yeah which is like i'd rather you just run up and hit me in the mouth so i can like do something about that and so like strike back empire too <laughs> but um like i was just taught from an early age uh just from my family from my uh parents to be independent and to know your perception or like to i was always aware of how others would see me either like they either my parents would say it uh overtly and i would, and i would had to like kind of figure out what their meaning was so like my mom would always say take that do rag or take that wave cap off before you leave the house so I was like, it's like, but mom, my waves got, they got to bake. They got, they got to stay fresh. I got to go outside. And she said, take it off. And I never really understood why until like I got older. I was like, oh, she didn't want me to be perceived that way. Like I was some gangbanger or uh, a menace to society or something like that. Uh, then I was always taught to take your hood off when you uh, enter a place. Uh, enter like any establishment especially if people don't look like you so that's i didn't really think about that thing of the meaning of that until i got older and it's like yep and like as a kind of like a brown skin a dark skin a black man with a hood up you already perceived as a threat or perceived as like you're uh about to do something criminal so like right off there you already off to the wrong foot before you even open your mouth so I was always aware of my perception and how others would see me. So that kind of fueled my motion, like how I would move and my navigation through all this. So like, all right, let me do, let me do this. So that way I don't get, so that way that doesn't happen to me, which is a weird way of thinking. It's a messed up way of thinking, like, especially yeah. when you're a teenager and kids, stuff like that. That's messed up. So that, that weighs on people. So like just, just small, minute things like that people don't talk about or are not aware because like brothers and sisters, like we already know, we don't have to really say all that. It's just other people that uh, may not have had that same experience that we have to explain it to. And it's very subtle. It's very uh, nuanced and it's hard to talk about because it's not in your face. Right. So, so that's, that's, that's where uh, conversations like this are so, uh, ne so necessary, so needed because Everything is so nuanced and uh, diverse and subtle that you may miss it if you don't pay attention. Right. And I'm just speaking for me. I, I want to put this out there as a disclaimer. I'm I'm not. I don't represent the NAACP. I don't have Reverend Al Sharpton <laughs> handing me cards or quotes. I'm just ex I'm just expressing my thoughts and opinions right. based off of my own experiences as Fahim. And. Fahim, what I loved, what I love about that is when I first approached you to to talk about this episode, you said it so well. You said, "Listen, let's let's have this episode as if we're all just chatting, we're all just talking as a group, right? We're all sharing our own experiences." And I think that's so important. And I think what you're talking about is something that I've, you know, it's it's been relatively new for me to open up my eyes to the way that racism, in a lot of ways, has been masked or moved so that it can be hidden. 
from yeah. the public in ways that it, it didn't used to. I've watched, uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading and a lot of watching because I want to learn more and I, I want to better understand that I'll never understand. Yeah, um, but that's the, that's really the first step is to, sure. admit, like, is to admit that like, yo, I don't know everything. It's okay to be wrong and you're seeking the knowledge. You're seeking these uncomfortable conversations with other people from different perspectives. And like, that's the great start, but it's right. a start. So like we can't, so we can't just say like, all right, 8 p.m. We got done with this podcast. Oh man, racism is cured. That's we, right. We solved it. We talked about we talked it. We talked about it. We solved we it. About it. We're good. That means we can go back to our TikTok videos and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is a continued conversation that needs to happen at every level, whether it's a child, adults, uh, you talking to somebody at the dinner table and somebody says like something nice. Little offhand, you yep. need to, that needs to be addressed in person, not like on the phone. I mean, let me yep. get my let me get my thumbs ready to go in on them. Like, no, right. let's talk about some uncomfortable. Can I cuss? Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. my mama trained me right. No, <laughs> go for That's it. That's right. You gotta ask before. I gotta, I gotta ask because you know, nah, know how I mean, we portray. But yeah, yeah, we gotta address some real shit. You know. Yeah. It, so it's a continued it, conversation. And it needs to start now. It needed to start 200 years ago, but it definitely needs to be continued now. Jocelyn, um, talk to us about, you know, one of maybe the first instance or something that sticks out to you when you felt, you know, people were discriminating against you. Yeah, I think um, I, I definitely agree, again, with what Fahim said about sort of being taught from a young age um, that they're, they're, the world works differently for you. Um, and so, you know, whether it's explicit and, and it's literally your parents sitting down and saying, you know, your parents or whoever it may be sitting down and saying, hey, look, you know, the world works differently for people who look like us. You need to think about these things. Um, you know, what do you do if you get stopped by the police? Don't don't mouth off to certain people. Don't do all that stuff. Um, so I, I think sometimes I, I, I think back, I'm like, when is the first the first time that I remember experiencing racism and I don't I don't have like a first time I don't think because and I think this is the case for um a lot of black kids and again this is Jocelyn right like I'm again just like you said I'm not yeah, speaking right. for everybody or all the black people in Upper Arlington or all the black you know black right. women or, or anything um but I have talked to enough black folks who have said like yeah I mean you know when when you're a kid there's not necessarily a singular time when you think oh I realized what racism was, you know, you maybe have a first, uh, you know, the first time somebody calls you the N word or the first time that, you know, you're visibly discriminated against or followed around or pulled over or whatever. But um, I think one of the things that's super important for, for white folks and everybody to understand is that there is just sort of a different set of rules and a different reality um, for black people and people of color that means you just sort of grow up knowing that racism is a thing. And then you have these points where you, you know, you, you have an experience that is very overt. Uh, like Fahim said, a lot of it is sort of wrapped up in other things and it's systemic and you have to look pretty hard to say, oh, okay, well, you know, I, yeah, I think I was getting followed around. Like, I, I think, I think somebody was just following me around the store because I'm black and it's not because they want to ask me a question or, or whatever. Um, as I said, in Upper Arlington, it, it was kind of different um, because there were not many Black people. We sort of stuck out. Uh, and in, in some ways, like, 
I can, I love to be the center of attention. So there are times when I was like, great, man, everybody knows who I am because there are four black people here and you know, whatever. But, um, there was a time when I was in, um, I was in high school and it was early on. I think it was my sophomore, freshman, sophomore year. Um, and it was in band and somebody as a joke, quote unquote, uh, decided to hang a Barbie, a black Barbie doll from the closet where I kept my tuba. And again, they, you know, it's like that thing with kids. Oh, it's a joke. Um, and I use that story only, you know, there, and I like Veeam said, we're just having a conversation. So we could like go back and forth about like, Oh, I, one time this happened to me. Yeah, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Like, right. and you know, yeah. Like let's, Oh, you remember when that happened? Oh yeah. Me too. Oh, last yeah, week. Messed up. oh you get fired. <laughs> right by the way. Yeah. Right. I was shopping the other day. Somebody bought me. The world is terrible. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Let's, we could do an hour or two of that. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I, I don't choose that story to, to like, because it's horrible i mean because it is it was traumatic and all that stuff but um i choose it because i i didn't say anything at the time i i sort of was like well i don't want to cause any trouble and and i think that's like the most insidious part of racism and white supremacy and and these systemic things is you are constantly gaslit and i I, you know we didn't have the term gaslighting in like 2004 or five or whatever it was but um some of it is that it, it puts the onus on you to be like, oh, well, I should, I should go tell someone this is wrong and, and prove to them that this is an issue. And the reality is no, like people shouldn't be lynching dolls in the black students locker, right? That's wrong. Um, and I had a wonderful, I mean, Corey knows we had a wonderful band staff and, yeah. and I told them this story, you know, years later when we were at a band camp or we were having coffee or something and they were horrified and they were yeah. like, how, did this happen and why didn't you tell us? And I sort of said, guys, that's the problem is I, you know, I trusted you, but I still didn't feel like it, it met the, the bar of me needing to tell someone because I didn't want to make a fuss about it. And I didn't want to be dramatic and whatever. And I think, you know, especially as people who teach kids um, and especially for, for white educators, it's really important to have that sort of, second set of glasses to look at things and say, okay, I may not be seeing this happen. Right. Um, but you, but you have to know that it's not always happening in front of you. And like Fahim said that a lot of these things, that is the insidious part about it. It's sort of under the surface. And if you don't know where to look or you don't know what's going on or how to, to view some of these things, there's no chance for you to create an environment where kids feel a, like they, that's not appropriate, right? You know, where, where they would think to themselves, that's not something I can do. Um, but B, where, a, a, you know, a student would feel comfortable saying, hey, this thing happened to me um, and not feel like they're causing trouble. Because that was my overwhelming feeling was, right. well, I don't want to burden anyone with this. I don't, you know, these are my friends, quote unquote. Um, clearly, they're not people who who remain my friends. We, you know, we figured that out. But um you know, I like when you and I were joking about, we could go around all day, but that example I like to use sometimes because it is, it's like this bad thing happens to you. And because of the way racism works, the the yeah. victim is the one left thinking, oh, well, I don't think I should even tell anybody. I'm, I'm ashamed. Right. I'm embarrassed. Right. Uh, let's just not bother anyone about it. And it's like, no, 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 you should, you should tell somebody probably. Right. Um, That's definitely part of the issue. Like, 
how racism is how racism is so effective is that it shames the victim and it kind of gives the perpetrator the platform to just continue to do whatever. Absolutely. To because like, other people are just like, well, I want to speak up, I want to cause a fuss, but some things are worth making that. And we have to, and we as educators, we as adults, we as people need to start taking the uh, chances and teaching people, teaching even adults, people that are older than us, people that need to uh, learn, everybody needs to understand that right. we need to shout these things out and because racism works best in the dark. Mm-hmm. Like evil things work best in the dark. What's done in the dark comes in a light as they say, like yeah. cliche line. But once you shed a light on some uh, injustice and understand why this is happening, that's how you move forward. Like you can't really pro- you can't really process things if they're not addressed. Yeah. Right. So Absolutely. it's, it's going to be it's like a scab that you just ignore, and it gets worse and worse. But you just keep ignoring it. It's right. going to fester. It's going to become infected, and mm-hmm. it's just going to get worse from there. That's such a good. That's such a good analogy. Um, I think. I'm diving as deep as I can into this because as a teacher, I now see more of a responsibility than ever to kind of reshape the way that I see an inclusive environment in my classroom. Um, You know, it's more than just making sure, well, everybody feels comfortable and everything is fine and people can share whatever. Um, I, I am worried because I think some of the older people around me uh, have this viewpoint of, when instances like that, Jocelyn, what you're talking about, you know, when instances like that happen, um, I think there's this viewpoint that's like, oh, you know, they're kids, they're learning, they're growing up. And sometimes like people might address it once and be like, hey, we don't do that. We're moving on. But I think what you're saying, Fahim, is that's that's not it anymore. It's got to be, yeah, why like- is that not okay? Let's have a deep discussion about why that's not mm-hmm. okay. Um, and, and, the I, part, and the part of, I'm sorry, let's cut you no, off. Please. Like, the... Uh, the real thing is why is sometimes it's not being addressed because the teacher doesn't know how to address it. Yeah. Like as an educator, we're taught how to sub subdivide within the B. We're taught how to uh, score prep. We're taught how to uh, run a classroom in terms of music, but there's not a lot of resources before you step into the classroom on how to address uncomfortable issues or how to, uh, develop rapport with students, things like that. You kind of just learn a lot of that on the job. And that's why it's such a unique position because I'm never bored because I'm always challenged in a certain way of how to get better and how to uh, deal with certain situations with different people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, we're on this topic, so let's let's go into it. Um, something that I'm challenging myself, I've challenged other music teachers too that are, are close to me is that this next year, regardless of what it is, because of this crazy COVID world. Who knows, right? <laughs> but, right, whatever, whatever it is, uh, I've challenged a lot of music educators to make sure that they have a mindset of programming music uh, written by minority uh, composers, specifically BIPOC composers, people of color uh, composers, which I think are so under- uh, appreciated and under recognized in the world. And that's one way to do it. But my question to you guys is, you know, besides programming music written by black composers, mm-hmm. what else can we do as music educators uh, uh, to continue working towards an anti-racist classroom? 
Yeah, it's loaded. That's loaded. <laughs> it <All right>. is. <laughs> um, well, you just got to be in the mindset of this is a continued thing, and really, no matter what I do, I'm not going to solve the issue by myself. Mm. So, like, you can program black people in your uh, or black composers in your uh, program. But some at some point it's going to become like a novelty, like like a Christmas show. Like, all right, I'm going to play mm-hmm. Jingle Bells. Yeah, and it's like, all right, that's cool. Like, you can play Lean on Me or something like that if you're for your band or uh, choir strings. But what's your intention? What's your uh, what's your intention with doing that? And what is the result that you want to see? So if you're programming a Lean On Me tune or like one or two tunes written by composers just to meet a quota to say that, oh, I'm still a good person. Mm -hmm. I'm knowledgeable. I'm not racist at all. I went to college. What? I I can't be this way. That's not good enough anymore. It can't be good enough because look where that's got us. Yeah. That's not really. I mean, the best thing we can do is educate ourselves as educators. So like give yourselves um, time to reflect and ask for people's perspectives, like the conversation that we're doing. Talk to your students about these very uncomfortable situations, but be smart about how you go about it because nobody wants to lose their job over saying something stupid. Right. So you got so to be aware of how to navigate through uh, these very intricate topics. And one of the best things about like teaching music there are so many stories out there about these kind of things in the music. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if you mind. No, please, by all means. Let me do a deep, yes. let me do a deep yes. dive with some records here. So, yes. uh, so here's, here's, I feel like this is what we can do as educators. We can use the music to our advantage because we're so unique in that regard that there are so many stories, so many perspectives within the music. Like people just listen to music more deeply than somebody preaching a sermon or somebody uh, yeah. telling you do this, do that. Yeah. So, so like what I've been on really the past uh, couple of weeks or so, just trying to figure out my feelings and emotions and my perspective on this topics, stuff like that. So um, it's up to you or up to the band director or uh, music teacher to figure out which to figure out what music to expose the age level of grouping was appropriate. So I'm not playing, I may or may not play this in my classroom, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it anyway. So I'm going to start with some Joey badass because it's crazy. Oh man. It's called all American badass and America is spelled KKK. Yeah. So you already know off, off the top is kind of uh, controversial. Right. It's, it's controversial. And there's this song that really hits, to me, it's called Why Don't You Love Me? And the, in parentheses, it's called Miss America. Mm. So his lines are kind of, so tell me why you don't love me? Why you always misjudge me? Why you putting so many things above me? Why you never taking my side of the story? Why you, uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing. Why you, uh, why you always kicking my ladder? Why you never look me in my eye to say sorry? That hits, that hits deeply. Because when you talk about uh, marginalized people and oppression, there is never like, oh, my bad. There's no, there's never uh, an admittance of wrong. 
Right. And we as a people still are saying that. Like, oh, uh, with regret to the families, things like that. Like, yo, look somebody in the eye and say sorry for messing up. Mm-hmm. It goes a long way. Yeah. So yeah, that. I, I hear that. And I, I am encouraged to start having those conversations in the best way that I can in my, uh, you know, teaching life, but also personal life. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are afraid to do. I think a lot of people are afraid to stand there and say, uh, listen, yeah. this is why we need to talk about this. This is what needs to change. Yeah. Um, so many people are so afraid to be wrong. Because, or uncomfortable. Uh, or yeah, uncomfortable. Because we, we live in that cancel uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she's canceled now because she said one thing wrong. Right. But we, we can't cancel people because when you get canceled, where do you go? Right. Yeah, you're still. So, they're still here. They're, they're still, still here. there. You still got to deal with them. So, yeah. instead, so instead of shutting people down or calling them racist or calling them stupid or calling them ignorant, educate them. Like, yeah. all right, tell people why this is inappropriate to say because it affects a person this way, and give me some examples on how I can improve and do better. So yeah. I'm not. So we got to do a lot less, a lot more inclusion a lot more educating and a lot less dismissal of people absolutely because yeah. when you get called a racist you don't just disappear into the phantom zone <laughs> right you just but... still there you know yeah you gotta deal with you yeah, sure. i think that discomfort too is like a huge part of it um i know a lot of people and i feel like this moment right now um is different you know i thought that before and then we go back to the same thing. So there's this sort of cynical part of me that, that when people say, Hey, does this feel different to you? I'm like, nah, man, like it's, it's all, it's all the same, you know, we're just gonna. And I think that that cynicism is sort of part of what happens as you grow up. Cause you see, you know, it's the same stuff is still happening, but I do think that there is a difference right now in a lot of people who are, who are willing to kind of sit with the discomfort um, of what's happening and begin to try and unpack it. And I think, that that desire by a lot of people, white people in particular, and white educators are included in that, obviously, is sort of, look, this is uncomfortable, and it makes me feel bad, and it makes me feel maybe like this is my fault. And I and, and the, the muscle, the learned muscle of white privilege is, okay, well, I'm going to think of any excuse I can to get away from that. You know, I have black friends, I have black students, I you know, I, I, I give to the NAACP. I, you know, I voted for Obama <laughs> twice. Oh. And so, you know, <laughs> I vote for him a third time. Right. I'd vote for him a third time. Oh, no, so. I'd vote oh. for him for the rest of Right. Like, good on you. And, and no one's saying that you're, you're in the Klan or anything, but you know, I think the difference right now a little bit is that I see a lot of folks who previously were sort of not willing to do that work saying, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to sit with this, and I'm going to be uncomfortable and understand that that's a choice I can make uh, that Black people don't have a choice on, right? You know, when when we get uncomfortable, I can go watch The Office or something or or, li- or listen to music or make music or do things that are my escape. But, um, that, you know, when I walk outside, I still am going to have to deal with the same sort of things, right? And so I've been pleased that there are people and, and teachers as well who I think are at the front of what we can do to change a lot of this stuff, willing to say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to listen. I'm going to read, I'm going to learn, I'm going to reflect. Um, but like Fahim said, it's not enough to just sit and learn and reflect. And, and I think programming is a great way to do it. Um, but I also think 
you know, and concert van is a very, very white, uh, white Eurocentric male. Um, when I think about it. Yes, very much so. And I, there's a lot of good work that can be done there. Yeah. And I think one of the ways, the one of the ways that we do that is like Fiend said, you know, there are stories with this music. And if you're going to program something, then I think we should do this with whatever we do. Um, right. But, you know, talk about the composer, talk about why they're writing the music, talk about how they composed it. And there are a lot of good black composers doing all sorts of great things. The first person that comes to my mind is Omar Thomas, um, who is a, a composer, has recently been writing for concert band, wind ensemble. Um, we performed one of his pieces last year in the Wind Symphony. And, you know, he's incredible and he's young and excited about bringing the Black experience to this very white, you know, historically very white art form. Um, and that's not to say that Black people haven't been playing concert band music, but, you know, in the in the ways that uh, racism works, you know, the people who get published and all these sort of other things, it, it has become a very homogenous yeah. Um, sort of art form with respect to who is writing the music. There are a lot of different styles and sorts of things, but um, I think it's not only programming uh, composers of color and black composers, but talking about those things and willing to be willing to say, okay, this is not an experience that I have. You know, if Corey, you're you're programming something that is about any number of issues that that relate to social justice or or the black experience, even being willing to say, hey, you know. Either let's talk about this um, with the with the understanding that maybe this is you know this isn't a thing that I understand from a firsthand perspective, but let me accept help from people who do. And I think there's a difference between calling your black friends and being like, "Teach me," which is like not something that is cool to do at all, right? Like we don't yeah. that that's that. a big thing right now. Don't 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 call me and can be I, like, "What can should I, can I read?" Can I back off that real quick? Yeah, yeah. like oh, like man. Yeah. It's, but it's ask for help. Ask <laughs> yeah. for help, and and do it in a way that is respectful. And and that's one of the reasons why I was happy to to talk on here with you guys because I was like, this is this is a good type of discussion. This isn't teach me how to fix racism because, like, yeah. man, if I knew, I would have done it a long time ago. <laughs> exactly. Okay? exactly. I'm right. glad you brought that up because uh, people either of contacted me or just along the years with my friends kind of uh, talk about these uh, topics, things like that. But I'm 28, barely, like not even 30. I, I'm still kind of a kid or like I'm I'm still just getting to my adulthood. Like, man, I don't have the answers. Right. We don't know. Like, I don't know. I can't be I can't be your spiritual guide to racism because uh, it's just been weird for me for since the day one. So right. I'm, still, I'm still figuring out a lot of things about myself and about how I can fit uh, fit in or stand out and navigate through uh, this being a black man in America who was also raised uh, as a Muslim. So that's a whole nother thing I can get into and a whole nother uh, systematic uh, dismissal of a group of people, how that can come about. Mm -hmm. So that's different. So I'm still trying to figure things out, but that's why uh, continuing conversations like this is so important because that may not be your experience. Guaranteed, that's not your experience, but right. you're doing the but you're doing the work and asking and uh, trying to sit with this discomfort instead of saying like, "All right, 
I'm not racist. I give some money to the. Uh, That's right. Black Lives Matter because you guys matter too, right? I changed my profile picture to a black square, and I, that's all I need to do. All <laughs> right. right? Like, yeah, I've, I made, I've shared a post on Facebook. Right. I'm great. I'm great. I could do my civic deed now. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I, I read this article, uh, so that means I'm super educated on the topic. Yes. 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 But anyway, <laughs> so I read this one thing. It's called like German. Oh man, performative. Ally, allyship. I can't even say words. Ah, man, you're Formative good. allyship with huh. a P at the end. Uh, so it's about like uh, posting or being all gung ho about activism as it suits you in the, as an individual, but instead of the cause. So mm. that's on the lines of like, all right, I'm posting this thing or I'm going downtown to protest but I'm coming back home chilling and uh, acting like nothing's different because as, because that's from a place of privilege. Right. But like that's, it's, it's damaging and it's harmful in a lot of ways because that really uh, dismisses the hard work that a lot of other people are doing. Right. And it gives people an excuse to not step up to the plate, you know, and right. do the actual work. So like I put a I put a sign in my yard, so I'm good now, right? <laughs> so y'all matter too, so you be good though, right? Yeah. Like don't break my windows, right? Right. <laughs> so and like nobody's saying it's easy either. Like right. you know we're all right. Like nobody's saying this is easy stuff or that you should you know we if right like I said if if it had been able to be fixed if it were easy somebody would have done it. Yeah. Um, but well, like I I think teachers in particular have such a great opportunity to help raise people who understand this and who can walk around in the world with an awareness to recognize when it's happening and recognize how to fight against it. Because there is some of this this blindness that is, oh, well, I haven't had to deal with this. You know, I, 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 this isn't a part of my life. I don't know. And I, and I get that. And I, I understand you know, there are certain people when I tell them things that have happened to me, they go, oh, well, you know, I didn't know that happened anymore. Well, of course you didn't because you live in the bubble, you know, and you <laughs> you, see a, you see a black person every three weeks uh, or something. And and so I get that. I get that. But I think we're at the point where that can't that can't be an excuse much longer. Right. Like it's in oh, our man. consciousness now as a society. And there are so many good folks who are willing to talk and help and you know, I, I very much subscribe to the don't ask me to fix racism for you. But any person who I have a relationship with, if they're like, Jocelyn, can you tell me about your experience? Because I care about this. Ninety nine percent of the time I'm ha- like, I, I'm happy to do that because yeah. they're willing to do the work yeah. to go figure out how to configure their mind to go teach in a way that is anti-racist. And so you're better able to recognize those under the, the radar things that have gone forever. Yeah. And say, hey, this is wrong or this is problematic. Let's do it differently. And I think that that's how the change happens. It's not, you know, good for the folks who are putting yard signs in their yard. That's yeah. I'm not mad at you for putting a yard sign up, but yeah. but but go, you know, keep going. Don't don't yeah. stop. Don't, right. don't stop there. Yeah. 
For sure. Well, hey guys, I don't want to. I don't want to stop this conversation. We got to take a quick break for a commercial sponsor, and then we're going to get back into the other part of this. But uh, you know, Brews and Tunes is also sponsored by JazzColumbus.com. Thanks to Jazz Columbus, Alex Burgoyne, Zach Jones. They are awesome people. We love them a lot. Yes. Uh, anything you possibly can think of in terms of jazz in Columbus is happening at JazzColumbus.com. Make sure you check it out today. Guys, um, the conversation we've been having, I think, is so incredibly important, and I, I am so thankful for you guys to, to hit on your experiences. Um, the other part of this show today is also talking about what we can do as musicians to help this anti-racist world that we're trying to get to uh, or to you know, teach others about. Um, and so I'm curious, uh, either of you, you know, what, what role do you think music plays in continuing anti-racist work? Uh, music plays a huge role because music is a reflection of the time. Music is a reflection of society. So we're in a unique time uh, now because I feel like a lot of listeners, a lot of people that are, are really into music and really want to get into things, they're they're not looking for the surface level anymore. They're not looking for the three minute pop song that's going to make you dance and dance around, and then I get back to my work day. Like we're in a time where people are really listening critically for content. And that's that's a beautiful thing. So it's a responsibility to the artist in order to hone your craft now and um, really say things of content, of quality that represent you and your individual experience. So music is all about storytelling and telling your own experience. So the best thing we can do as musicians is to write music that tells our own unique experience because you never know how your experience can be related to somebody uh, that's going through the same thing or that can open their eyes of someone else that has no idea what you're talking about but is with you. And yeah, that's what we can do as musicians, just keep telling our own stories in a unique, honest and soulful way and people want to listen. Right. I think Fahim, what you're talking about too is so relevant to, you know, obviously every person's pop culture music, they, they have their own, you know, giant heroes. Um, mm -hmm. But I think about jazz music in particular, and I think about the sixties and yeah. I think about some of the coolest music ever produce, right? Like Mingus, Fables of Fabus. You know, you think right. about Max Roach, his entire uh, We... Uh, yeah, Freedom and Jazz. And all the, yeah. yeah. I mean, that stuff is so important. And I think we can all learn still from that music that's, what, 50 years old. Like, yeah. and, and it kind of sucks that it's still relevant. Like, I think, yeah. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> that is, that's how it is. is really how it is. It's just our turn. I've, I've seen this kind of as like, I'm seeing this as like a cycle. So it's kind of up to us, us as like 20-somethings, 30-somethings to take up the mantle uh, from like the 50, 60, 70-year-old people and yeah. say like, all right, it's our turn in order to educate, in order to push back on some of these injustices. So it's, it's just a cycle. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Absolutely. Um, Jocelyn, I'm curious, you know, you've been performing with Large Mouth and uh, having a good time with that group. Fahim, you've also subbed in that group. So you've also- He has. He absolutely has. With that group. Um, but talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, have, have you ever felt like that music can speak to 
a ton of people or even right now in the world that we live in, do you think that type of music can really speak to what we're talking about right now? Yeah, I think, you know, I agree that music in general is, you know, is storytelling. Um, and music, I think more than a lot of things is a reflection of the culture and the time in which it's produced. Uh, and I think that's true always. So, you know, especially when we're teaching music, it, I, I don't think you can do that without context of saying, this is when this is made, this is who made it, this yeah. is the story they're trying to tell. Um, and I think that's true of the music we play, both in that um, it is born out of the jazz tradition and it's a fusion of all of these things. Um, and I think we've had a lot of conversations as a band about, look, the music we are playing is rooted in jazz and the New Orleans jazz band tradition and it, it's it's black music and so we need to be aware of the music we're playing and paying tribute to that and doing it in a context sort of of awareness of where that comes from um but I think too that you know music if if it is performed with an intent of creating community and and creating that feeling that we sort of talked about earlier that that feeling that all musicians are chasing that to me is super important because it's a unifying thing um and i you know a lot of the music we play uh it doesn't it doesn't have lyrics it doesn't have some of the things that i'm really drawn to with respect to telling about the time we're in and and critiquing certain things but you don't know i don't think you always need that i think you know there are a lot of things in music that you know they are said through the music itself. And so I think the combination of the music we're playing, which is by and played by originally um, Black artists and and then writing our own music um, in that with that tradition in mind and trying to pay tribute to that and performing it, we're trying to create something that is bringing people together and spreading joy and just paying tribute to that tradition and that music um, that I think is a very, very central, important part of this country. Yeah. And the people who live in it, um, you know, shameless plug for Largemouth. I'm I'm the tuba player. I play I play the tuba. And I have a great time. But my bandmates are writing some incredible stuff, and it's so cool to play through it and and sort of see what they're being influenced by and talk to them about where they're pulling from. Um, and and it is it's it's sort of this fascination and love with the genre of jazz, which is as we all know, like in, in the formal school setting, I think often is sort of relegated to the side as this sort of extra yep. thing that you do before or after school and you take a class on it if you want. Um, and, and one of the things I think that we sort of should continue to do is try and, and move that to a more central place because of its value inherently, but also because of how central it is to music in this country. Um, I think it's and as awesome. someone who's a classical nerd, you know, I play, <laughs> I play the tuba in a concert band, and and I finally got to start playing playing jazz uh, with large mouth, and um, you know, the the tuba is not a a normal fixture in in the jazz ensemble, but it is in the new or you know the New Orleans tradition. So, yeah. um, one of my favorite things about about being in that band is finally getting to like be a part of that of that cultural tradition that is that is something that in New Orleans and, and here in New York and, or, you know, in New York and, and in this country in particular um, is so central to like the cultural experience of, of black people. And so right. to get to connect with that finally, 
I think Fahim was in the jazz class that I took when I was like finishing my first degree oh, yeah. and everyone was so nice to me. I was just Mike like, <laughs> yeah, Mike, shout out to Mike Smith for real, who like almost single-handedly was the one who was like, you need to go back to school and get your teaching degree. Um, and you know, it, that was sort of my first taste of like, this is, this is incredible. And this music just tells a story in a way that I think a lot of things, yeah. um, you know, don't, there's just such a rich history there. So I think, I think what you're talking about is so important. And I think as an educator, this is something that I've thought a lot about is that if we're talking about the type of music that kids can connect with now, I, I personally, I don't think concert band is that music. And uh, so I, it it can be for some people, but yeah, I think, I think there just needs to be more. Like I'll, I'll raise my hand and be like, I love a good concert band. (laughs) I love the OSU Wednesday. I skip into that room with Dr. Miss Mickelson smiling every Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, because I can go play my Gustav Holst or whatever. But, um, but I agree. I I think it needs to be on equal footing. I, I think it needs to be, you have the concert band and you have, this and you're mixing yeah. things and educating kids about that tradition rather than, Hey, we're all going to do concert band. And I guess if you want, we'll talk about jazz if you feel like it, like, yeah, yeah, I don't, it that's needs... not the way it should be. <laughs> no yeah. way. And you know, the other thing that I've been struggling with lately and kind of wrapping my head around everything as I'm trying to educate myself, you know, I don't know why, but it, I hate, I hate to say this, but like truly up until like this past year, I haven't really thought about the fact that the music that I play weekly as music that's written by black folks who may not have ever gotten a profit from it, right? Like I'm getting a paycheck every week to play black music as a white man. And personally, I feel like there's something that needs to change about that. Either, you know, we need to recognize that, we need to vocalize that. Um, because if you look at the scene today, if Fahim, you talked about things being cyclical, right? And, and I think that we're getting to this point where in jazz music, a lot of people are thinking that 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 is the the music that they want to go study and learn, and that's valid. And I think every single person should be allowed to go study any music they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's underappreciated and and under talked about uh, the people who wrote that music and the lives they lived, right? Like if you're if you're learning a, a basic even even Ken Burns, right? Even Ken Burns, the jazz documentary, doesn't address this in depth, and talks about it almost with the white lens through the history of music. Um, so I guess what I'm asking you guys is this, you know, what can I and what can other white allies who are musicians who are maybe focusing in on jazz, what can we do uh, to keep fighting and, and keep trying to work an anti-racist work? Okay. Um, I think we're, we're in a unique position as musicians and educators, but it takes a lot of work on our front. So like you mentioned, uh, Mingus, uh, who was basically a, a activist uh, and a part-time bass player. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and and uh, Max Roach, yeah, uh, Quincy Jones, anybody Simone, that, all of those, yeah. yeah, yeah anybody that kind of uses their music as a platform to speak out on issues, um, it's not a coincidence that that music came from the '60s or that that came about uh, during that time. Because look what the forefront of America was in the 1960s. Look how people were treated and very unique uh, music, very expressive, very uh, emotive music is going to come out of that because that's what those people were going through. 
So the music we write today shouldn't sound like the 1960s because it's 2020. So we have to uh, address the fact that it's not a coincidence that that music came from that time. So we have to realize that music is not made in a vacuum. It's brought up a lot of uh, context out of societal issues, out of people's experiences. So we have to do the research. We have to uh, do the work in order to educate ourselves as teachers. So like, so why was this song, why was Mingus writing this piece, uh, writing this piece, uh, Fables of Faubus? Who's, who's Faubus? He's like, uh, I think he was a mayor in like Tennessee or something like that. Yeah, or, a, uh, uh, I, I don't remember the story entirely. I think he was, he was involved like a mayor or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was like, like a, he was a high, he was a high ranking uh, public official. And they didn't, and they didn't uh, like what he was doing. So he wrote a piece uh, speaking out against that. So as the teacher, you have to educate yourself on the story before you even present it to a person. Right. And a lot of people are not willing to do that because they're not either they're uncomfortable with the topic. Uh, they don't want to seem wrong. Uh, they don't, or they don't know how to do the uh, work. They don't know how to do the research. And it's really cool as a musician especially a person that's studying jazz is so steeped in the tradition that we uh, are so aware that we need to look back on what came before in order to move forward. So as a jazz musician, we're taught at a very like uh, early age or uh, beginning of the process, go check, go check out Count Basie, go check out Scott Joplin. You need to check out uh, Jelly Roll Morton, Miles, uh, Louis Armstrong, Sonny Rollins, Charlie Parker, um, and then people now like Tia, Tia Fuller, mm. uh, all of mm. these pe- all of these people that uh, came before you. Like, let's not reinvent the wheel. Yeah. So we need to make sure that we are doing the research and studying the history as well as the music. Yeah, that's really well put. I appreciate that. Jocelyn, what would you say? What can I and other white allied musicians who are trying to learn more and, and trying to do as much as we can, aside from just changing our profile pictures and uh, yeah, yard well, signs? Right, number one, <laughs> right. Yeah, everybody's on that. Um, no, I think, I think that context, presenting things not in a vacuum is one of the big things, I think. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't be the case that you're teaching. I don't think you should be teaching any music without context. Um, and that goes for, for uh, especially in the, in the classical world, you know, there are a lot of composers who are super problematic now. Um, and Granger? I'm not- Granger? Granger? Wagner. Well, Wagner. Gra- yeah, Granger is weird. And <laughs> Granger is problematic in a different way. Uh, but yeah, you know, Wagner, and, and I, don't, I don't think I'm on, it's hard. I don't, I don't know if I'm on team, let's not ever play their music again, but let's not ever play their music without acknowledging, yeah. Hey, this is the time they lived in. This is why they're in music. And that should, I think, be a part of just when you're teaching music, you know, kids shouldn't be kids or adults or anybody shouldn't be playing music without understanding that central, those central things about it. And I yeah. think, you know, as an ally, um, you know, and as someone who, who has not yet, had her own classroom who is, you know, I'm in school and I'm, I'm teaching piecemeal. And so a lot of this stuff, um, you know, I, I know from people telling me, but I know from people telling me that it's hard to schedule everything in the day. I know that you're dealing with a million other things when you're teaching band and it's like, there's a field trip 
going on and my kids are leaving early and the administration told me yesterday I need to pass out this paperwork. And, you know, sometimes I, I think it is like, how do I do that? How do I, how do I do all these things I want to do? Um, but I, you know, it could be as simple as saying, all right, we're going to play this piece in two minutes. I'm going to just tell you about who this person yeah. was or tonight go look up who this person was or, or whatever it is. The, the more context you can provide, I think the better and realizing that a lot of this music that is especially in the sixties, that was written, you know, so, so centrally related to activism and, and all these different movements, not teaching it in a vacuum and also not watering it down. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, instances now where we talk about activism, you know, people all the time talk about Dr. King and it's, Oh, Dr. King, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, look, people were not loving Dr. King when he was around because he was bothering everybody about racism. And he's saying, look, this is a problem. And all, you know, he was being followed by the FBI and he's, there are all these horrible things that were going on. And I think now, years later, it is very convenient for a lot of people to say, oh, well, you know, Dr. King wanted equality, but he didn't want to do this. You know, these musicians that were writing very radical things and who had very radical opinions about stuff, let's listen to their song about equality and water it down to, well, everybody just should just matter the same. And, you know, that's not what they were saying. They, right. these, these are musicians are radical thinkers in their time. And I think it's important to to see it in the context of then and then bring it to now and say, look, these things, these things are still happening. Right. And let's not belittle what they were talking about and um, the sort of the radical, radical in a good way nature of what they were saying by robbing that music of its context. And I think any teacher who's teaching music, you know, give that music its context. And like we were talking about earlier, if, if that's not something you feel comfortable with, go read, go listen, go talk to somebody who does. And if you come to someone and say, you know, your, your, your purpose in coming to them and asking a question is clear. I don't know a lot of people, musicians, especially who are going to say, nah, leave me alone. I don't want to talk about that. Right. If, yeah. if you came to me or, or to theme or like you did today, you know, people can tell when you, you have your heart in the right place and you're trying to do the work. Um, there's never been more opportunities to learn than there are right now. There's free classes, there's there are podcasts, there's TV shows, you know, <laughs> there's Netflix is putting all this stuff out. Like yeah. the, the, the opportunity to learn is there. And I think people are doing a great job of learning, but it's taking that knowledge and figuring out how to inject it into what we're doing in a classroom or in a workplace or, or whatever it is. And number one for me is like, sit with that discomfort um, be okay with it and and then move on from oh this is uncomfortable and miserable yeah. I guess I understand racism now like <laughs> to it. doing something <laughs> and I think like Mahim said the context of music is is such a powerful thing that that as music teachers like we can harness to to teach the stuff that we want people to know now yeah I literally cannot thank you guys enough. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've lost track of time. I've done a bad job as a moderator here, keeping, oh, no, no, no. keeping the show under under the time. But um, I for, definitely foresee us maybe getting together again sometime down the road and, and talking some more. Uh, guys, we are at the point of the show where we introduce our tune of the week. Uh, and so I'm going to give you guys a second. That way you can think about it. Because in the past, I'm always like, hey, go for it. And people are like, oh. yes. Uh, and while I give you that second, I'm going to tell the audience about someone that I just recently learned about, Lakeisha Benjamin. Oh, Absolutely yeah. 
insane saxophonist, vocalist, composer. She did this insane take on on Coltrane's Pursuance. I okay, if you have not checked, it just dropped in 2020. She has uh, Pursuance the Coltrane's a whole list of tunes inspired by Coltrane that she plays, which is incredible. She's got this album. Uh, I'm looking for it. Oh no, I lost it. I think it's like March on. It's incredible. Um, I can't talk enough about how amazing her music is. So if you know, audience, go home, check out Akisha Benjamin. She is unstoppable incredible Fahim who do you got uh, either an artist a tune an album what do you got for us oh man can I do two man? absolutely All right. <laughs> I want to do one jazz and one uh, well whatever jazz is you know that's another discussion yeah, man. <laughs> that's a different podcast that's a different podcast episode alright all right. so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pick two types of uh, social music <laughs> if that's okay yeah absolutely alright All right. so one I've been in a deep dive to this Nancy Wilson and Cannonball Alley uh, album. It's for like 1962. Um, check out Never Will I Marry or A Sleeping Bee from Nancy Wilson and Cannonball Adderley 1962 album. My God, you will mm. and I go wrong with some Cannonball. And uh, another, another song that's been on repeat I either want to go with Anderson Pack Lockdown because that song and that video yes. is powerful. Yes, yes. And uh Kendrick Lamar, all right. Like that's been my anthem for like the past five years. Uh, he said, Nazareth, I'm fucked up, homie. You fucked up. But if God got us, then we gonna be all right. So mm. it's just it's just a motivational thing that's saying like this is a messed up time or things are not right but if you keep persevering keep pushing through we're gonna be all right absolutely so, man. Like, he, like he says it in a way that maybe some people may not agree agree with his verbiage or usage like you gotta get past that like stop, stop getting hung up on like the, the alliteration or the, the or the language listen to their intention listen yeah. to their message Stop getting hung up on the semantics. Yeah, that's a that's a lesson life. to learn right away. For... Like with some all life stuff, like no, 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 no. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about you talking about semantics right there. Mm-hmm. But you're missing the point, right? Because you don't want to be uncomfortable. Mm. Like Glassford, can we cuss on here one more time? Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 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 Glassford said, fuck your feelings. It's not about you right now. Yeah, it's about those people that are in danger. Yeah. Amen. Jeez, dude. Amen. All right, I'm gonna go check that out. <laughs> oh yeah, this is this some this some tones on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you, Jocelyn? You got anybody or tunes or albums that we should? Check I do. Out? I'll do. I'll do two also. Just the one that I've like. Well, two. So the first one I've been um, on this. It's like my classical music side. There's a classical music side, and then the, the other. <laughs> uh, and I've been absolutely obsessed with uh Scheherazade lately oh my gosh it's I don't know what kind of dumb stuff I was on not listening to that before the summer like I think I maybe I did listen to it and I just I I hadn't but I have been like killing the the repeat one button on that and on like the third movement especially um it's just one of those pieces where like it's every time I listen to it there's some other thing uh that I find and I've been listening to like a bunch of different orchestras recordings of it. Um, so if you're into like some calm classical stuff, 
that sounds like a movie score uh but was written before movies were a thing that's definitely one um and then on a completely different like planet um (laughs) i've been listening to run the jewels a lot recently um their new album run the jewels for rtj4 unbelievable um it both makes me like so ang- I'm like driving around in my car listening to it and I'm like so angry but also so empowered um and there's a track called walking in the snow which is my favorite right now um and killer mike has a verse on it that is that just like undid me I I I cannot there's a it's it's a it's a song about um, uh, uh, system, you know, systemic racism, as as all things are right now. Um, but there is a lot. His verse is all about um, like the prison industrial complex and just the way that black people are treated and um, seen as different. And he ends by there's an incredible like four line uh, wrap up. And I think the final line of it is never forget in the story of Jesus, the hero was killed by the state. Which is, I, I had to listen to it three or four times Ooh. before I was like, Kill oh him. my word. There's just so man. many levels there. <laughs> and, Ooh. you know, and I, I hope that nobody listen, you know, listening to me thinks that I'm trying to be like sacrilegious or anything. I, I think there right. is a lot to unpack there. And I think he is doing, he is talking about that in, in sort of the context of like the story of religion and people who were radical thinkers of their time. And, I, I was driving when I was listening to it and I almost pulled my car off the road. Oh, I was man. like, oh my, <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. I had to sit, I had to sit in my car and park it for a minute after I got to where I was going and be like, what did he say? What? <laughs> like, so that's a great, that's a great one. There's just some really, and again, like, you know, the same way that, that a lot of uh, classical music is for me, the longer I listen to it, the more, the more little, um, you know, metaphors and meanings and, and the rhythm of, of, the lyrics and things are coming through so that's been a really fun one lately to listen to both when i am angry and when i'm <laughs> feeling great it's a, a album for all emotional states i'm gonna have to good. i'm gonna have to check that out as yes, well. yes please do uh guys you're you're incredible seriously um i can't thank yeah. you enough for taking the time to to sit here yeah. and and discuss thank um, you audience uh you know as always make sure you're you're liking subscribing this is the finale i can't believe it of season one but it's uh for a good reason um my coworker and i have kind of decided we want to take on season two but we want to make it more meaningful and we want to talk about more than just music now we want to talk about what people should be talking about and uh and talking to all of the columbus artists that we have in our community and trying to uplift them as well so be excited for season two. It's going to be really good. It's going to come out August, September. Um, so be looking for that. But until then, check out all of our 11 podcast episodes on any of your podcasting platforms. Um, we are really excited because the Zaftig Jam Session Thursday is celebrating its two-year anniversary this Thursday. Obviously, we can't be at the tap room, so we're going to use the power <laughs> of technology. And we are going to provide live music into the tap room where nice. anyone can go and enjoy a beverage and the food truck and you'll be able to watch my disgusting face try to play jazz music uh, <laughs> on their big screen TV. So it's going to be great. <laughs> make sure you check that out. Seven o'clock this Thursday. 
Uh, and last but not least, check out our website, www.brutette.wixsite.com slash jazz. We have a page called Friends of the Brutette, where we feature artists all throughout Columbus that have stopped into our jam session and what they're up to. This week, we are featuring Anthony Jackson. Anthony is incredible. Alto sax, is, uh, sax player right now in the community. He's just gifted beyond all belief, and I'm so excited to continue seeing him uh, continue to grow. Fahim and Jocelyn, I can't wait to keep watching what you guys are doing. Fahim, I can't wait to see the jazz stuff that you're going to be putting out yes. there in, in that state up north that I won't, uh, you know, mention. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, Jocelyn, again, I'm going to put in my two cents. I would love to have you as a student teacher if that's at all Man, ever possible. We're just going to so, try and find uh, some school that's open to go to. So <laughs> I'll hit you up. Let me know. <laughs> Absolutely. They're, they're teaching music. Where I can learn some stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, audience, um, you can you can follow both of our great artists. We're going to have a little bio on our site, too, so you can check them out. Friends, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having this discussion. And truly, I, I hope that we get to, to meet again and, and talk even more because I think we could go on for days and days and days. <laughs> Real. Uh, as always, audience, make sure that you're staying inside and don't go insane. <laughs>